Thank you so much, Carolyn, for reading God's word to us. Good morning, friends. My name is Tyler. It is so good to be together this morning. It was less than a year ago that I stood before the Vuvuzela, a water slide ride at Sunway Lagoon in Malaysia, tracing the twists and the turns and impossible angles with my eyes, gazing with utmost apprehension at that chaotic swirl of orange and yellow, listening to the reaction of those on the ride watching what was happening, I practically begged my family not to make me go on that ride. And for some reason, they kept saying, you'll be fine, Dad. I looked for opportunities and excuses to duck out of the line. I tried not to make a scene, but I felt like I was kicking and screaming. Though I went, and I did scream. And as you can see, I barely survived. <laughs> I could see the path before me, and I wanted no part of it. Today, we resume our journey with Jesus in Luke's Gospel, in which Jesus sees the path before him and sets out on it. We'll get to that in a moment, though, First, let me mention that we are jumping back into an endeavor that we began last year, steadily making our way through the gospel according to Luke. Luke is a gospel in three acts. That's one way to break it down, to think about it. And today, the curtain opens on Act 2. Remember, as Evan mentioned, Luke has carefully investigated everything in his orderly account of Jesus. You could say that everything recorded in Luke's gospel was fact-checked to death, literally, because that is the direction that Luke's gospel drives us. Act 1 ended with Jesus twice telling his disciples of his impending death. And as we begin Act 2, the momentum of Luke's gospel is inexorably towards the cross. That's where we're heading. Today, we set out with a focus as we begin that journey on four characteristics of Jesus' mission. Here they are. They'll come up on the screen behind me. Thanks, Nigel. Four characteristics of Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission is purposeful. His mission is critical. His mission is consequential. And Jesus' mission is personal. That's what we'll see as we journey, as we begin our journey this morning in Luke chapter 9 and 10. Let me pray for us as we get going. Heavenly Father, your word is so precious. Please give us a real and right attention to it this morning. Grant us eyes to see and ears to hear. Please help us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus' mission is purposeful. 
If I mentioned over morning tea later this morning that I was heading out to Cottesloe this afternoon, presuming the weather is favorable, what might you suppose I'm going to do there? Most likely, I'm going to the beach. There are some places whose name you say, and it is almost certainly implied what you're going to do there, right? I'm going to Karen up, that means I'm, I'm going to the shops. I'm going to Frio, that probably means we're heading down for fish and chips. I'm going to Hillary's for our family, that means we're going to get ice cream. The place and the purpose, they are linked in such a way that you say the place name and immediately your mind goes to the purpose for going there. And at this point in Luke's gospel, it's like that with the city of Jerusalem. Check out verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. For Jesus, Jerusalem is more than a place. It is a destination, the scene of his suffering and glory. It is there that he will be delivered up in his crucifixion, raised up in his resurrection, and taken up in his ascension to the right hand of the Father. As the time approaches for the fulfillment of his ministry, Jesus approaches Jerusalem. And so what does this tell us? What does that mean? Well, here's one thing I think we're meant to see is that Jesus is moving in concert with God's plan. He is not wavering or waddling on the tea, so to speak. No, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, and then he sets off. It makes me think of that moment you sometimes see in a movie or a TV series, usually towards the end when the stakes are raised, they're high. A sacrifice of some sort is required for the good of others, and a main character makes the decision to sacrifice what is needed, perhaps even their life. Can you think of that sort of ending to a movie or a TV series? The features of their face, the face of that character, they reflect a new resolve. Their gaze is firm. Their eyes are clear with purpose. Can you picture that in Jesus' face? The courage, the determination, the strength of Jesus. Jesus is not on a joyride, though he is filled with joy in the Holy Spirit, as Luke mentions later on. He is not on some aimless road trip, though he is traveling to different places and meeting new people. No, Jesus is on a mission. He is on a mission to suffer for the sake of others. And friends, this is actually brilliant news for us. Imagine if Jesus had decided to tap out. It's too hard. It's too much. Remember, he knows what awaits him in Jerusalem. 
Jesus' brutal death on a cross, bearing a punishment he does not deserve, looms ever closer. And instead of running away, he walks toward it. Jesus treads that path to Jerusalem for you and I, for us, for our eternal benefit. For him, a costly trek, more rigorous, more demanding than we could grasp. Yet Jesus is not reluctant, is he? He is resolute. So, could we take just a brief moment, even just 10 seconds or so right now, and quietly reflect on this sentence, this incredible and wonderful truth. At the time approached, as the time approached, for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Well, Jesus' mission is purposeful, and it is also critical. So let's keep going with Jesus along the road to Jerusalem. We're at verses 57 to 62 now. Hopefully you have your Bibles open or your phone there in that text of Scripture. And there in verses 57 to 62, we find a fascinating and even perplexing account of three false starts when it comes to following Jesus. A man expresses his desire to follow Jesus anywhere, but he doesn't realize what he's in for. Jesus is exposed on the move and will not rest until he's reached his goal. In the words of a song, the hope of the whole world rests on the shoulders of a homeless man. Two other men seem close to following Jesus, though they fail to realize the magnitude of who Jesus is and what he's come to do, and that is too important for anything but primary place in their lives. First, let me do this. First, let me do that, they say. And their requests, they may sound reasonable to our modern ears, but that's not the point. If Jesus' mission is anything less than life and death, well, that can wait a while. Other things can come first, but it's not. If Jesus' mission concerns, as it does, matters of repentance and judgment and faith and the kingdom of God, well, those are matters of utmost urgency, aren't they? Jesus' words in verse 62, they are first a statement of his own ministry. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Both of Jesus' hands, they firmly grip that plow, and he's looking straight ahead. His face is set towards Jerusalem, 
Though we must consider our position as well, right? As you think of the week ahead, what's on your calendar, what's on your mind, have you given much thought to how you might follow Jesus through the ins and outs of life tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and so on? It's easy to let that slip down the list, isn't it? It's like we need a steady reassessing and reordering of our priorities. Jesus' mission is so important that it also warrants appointing and commissioning and sending a substantial cohort of workers out to proclaim the proximity, the nearness, the closeness of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus does in the opening verses of chapter 10. And if you look there, his words to his workers, the 72 he appoints, begin, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why are the fields ripe for harvest? Because God's plan for the salvation of people, it is coming to fruition. Jesus' mission and by association, the mission that he sends those 72 out on, it is critical. It is not mission impossible, though it is mission dangerous, difficult, and necessary. And Jesus continues with instructions to his workers then in verse 4. He says, don't take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. On the surface, that seems like pretty poor travel advice, doesn't it? But what's really going on? Things are so critical that Jesus' workers, well, to use a metaphor, they need to set their sirens blazing and their lights flashing. Ditch the distractions, travel light, travel fast, Time is of the essence. That's how vital Jesus' mission is. It is critical. And thirdly, Jesus' mission is consequential. Let's keep moving in verses 8 to 12 of chapter 10 now. Jesus foreshadows that those he sends, well, they will be like the rain and the cooler temperatures in Perth the last day or two. Some will welcome them, others may not. Some will roll the welcome mat out and gladly receive the servants of the Lord Jesus. Others will roll that welcome mat up and reject those whom Jesus has sent. Have a look at verse 12. Do you know the true story of Sodom from the Old Testament? Sodom was an ancient, dreadfully wicked city, destroyed when the Lord rained his punishment down on it. Yet Jesus says it will be more bearable for Sodom in the day of God's judgment than it will be for those who refuse to welcome his workers. And in fact, Jesus has been treated in the same way. He laments the hard-heartedness and the lack of repentance 
from people in Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, places that he personally ministered. They are indicted for their rejection of Jesus. And we see a similar instance back near the beginning of our passage in verse 53. The inhabitants of that particular Samaritan village don't welcome Jesus, do they? They they harden, they close their homes and their hearts to him. And even though Jesus prevents their immediate demise, he still leaves that village and he moves on. Jesus walks away, and that in itself is an act of judgment. Rejecting the king of God's kingdom, that has serious and devastating consequences. And so Jesus, speaking about those he sent out, says in verse 16, He says, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Do you follow Jesus' logic? A rejection of Jesus is a rejection of God himself. It is a serious thing to say no to the Son of God. And it's worth mentioning one more sense in which Jesus' mission is consequential. Surely your ears perked up, didn't they, when we read verse 18? Will you go back there? Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The progress of Jesus' mission The steady advance of the kingdom of God means the retreat and ultimately the defeat of opposition to the Lord Jesus. Jesus' ascent, his being lifted up on the cross, raised up to indestructible life, and then to his Father's side, his ascent guarantees Satan's descent, the fall of the power of the enemy. Jesus' mission is so consequential because it it concerns either receiving or rejecting God. Jesus' mission is so consequential because it concerns either receiving or rejecting God, and therefore it concerns either coming under God's judgment or coming into his kingdom. And we come to our final point. Jesus' mission we've seen is purposeful. It is critical. It is consequential. And finally, it is personal. Jesus' mission is personal in the sense that Jesus calls people in and then he sends them out to participate in his mission. The 12 disciples, even the 72 others that Jesus sends out, they served a unique purpose in salvation history, and the spread of God's kingdom. And there isn't a perfect correlation between those historical figures and us today. Look, you can greet people, say hello as you walk down Onslow Road. And should you see a snake down at the lake, well, I'd suggest you're better off not trying to trample on it. But the point is 
that Jesus involves people in all sorts of ways in his mission, and he personally involves people like us. That is a real privilege, though there are two incidents in this passage that helpfully give us pause as we consider our participation in the Lord's work. And the first you may have noticed in chapter 9 is there again at the beginning of our section, verses 52 to 56. The people of a Samaritan village slam their doors in Jesus' face. James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, take offense, and they offer to take matters into their own hands. The sons of thunder want to bring the thunder. Lord, they ask, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Perhaps they're remembering the historical incident in the time of Elijah the prophet when the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed more than a hundred men of the wicked king of Samaria. But notice Jesus' response. We've just been told twice by Luke that Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem but now Luke records that Jesus turns and rebukes James and John. What gets Jesus to stop in his tracks and turn around? Clarity, conviction, and compassion. Jesus' present mission is not one of destruction, but of salvation. So perhaps James and John's comments reveal a smug superiority, a quickness to condemn that resembles the world more than it resembles Jesus. There are plenty of people that may offend the Christian today and fill us with indignation. In our heart of hearts, do we desire their destruction or do we pray for their repentance and salvation? The second incident occurs in verses 17 to 20 of chapter 10. After being sent out, the 72 workers return to Jesus with joy and this report, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. These 72, they have been involved in some extraordinary work, the sort of work that gets you noticed and appreciated and recognized. Though Jesus asks them to find their joy in something even better, do not rejoice, he says, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, rejoice in the fact that you are etched into God's forever family. And that permanent inscription, your name written in heaven, is only possible because of what Jesus is going to Jerusalem to do. So here's a question for us to reflect on. 
Do we have more joy in what we do for Jesus or in what Jesus has done for us? I'll ask that again because I need to hear it again. Do you have more joy in what you do for Jesus or in what Jesus has done for you? Well, Jesus' mission is personal in another sense. As we think back over all that God has done in history, and as we come to Jesus' mission as recorded here in Luke's Gospel, the tagline could be stolen from the cinematic sequel to Jaws. This time, it's personal. Though we could also say that Jesus' mission fared far better than that movie, apparently. Come and read verse 22 again with me. All things have been committed to me by my Father. This is what Jesus is saying. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. When we are talking about Jesus' mission, we are talking about the personal revelation of the God of the universe by his very Son. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 23, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. What are the disciples saying? The revelation of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. The dawning of the kingdom of God. The culmination of God's plan for salvation through Jesus. Some people, some people can pack stadiums and concert venues with people desperate to see them. Let the reader understand. But only Jesus, only Jesus packed history with people desperate to see him. And you don't need to miss out. You don't need to miss out. Such is the nature of Scripture that when we read what the disciples saw and heard, it is as though we see and we hear. And that brings us to one final comment. We're going to wrap up quick. Jesus' mission is personal in one more significant sense. It requires every single one of us to make a personal decision. As you see Jesus, will you receive or reject the one who reveals God the Father? As you see Jesus, will you receive or reject the one who reveals God the Father. 
How are you going? How am I going? At warmly welcoming the son who set his face to suffer for our salvation. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we have heard the words from Luke's gospel today, words about Jesus, words from Jesus, let us consider for ourselves, let us see clearly for ourselves the Lord Jesus in all his grace and glory. Let us not walk away from Jesus. Let us gladly receive him and welcome him. Thankful for his mission that he fulfilled, suffering for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.